Hi there, Global Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and I am happy to be hosting a gentleman this week that is from a region that I haven't really had a lot of experience with um, global citizenship. And so I'll just jump right in with the introduction and then we'll get into our very, hopefully very lively conversation. So my next guest is a social entrepreneur, innovator, and artificial intelligence enthusiast with an ICT background and more than 20 years in information systems, mainly in higher education. He has founded and led two startups in EdTech in Tunisia and is currently mentoring and coaching startup founders and giving advice in e-learning, e-publishing, e-marketing, and e-business. He is currently one of 371 Swedish Institute scholars, enabling him to pursue a master's in computer science for sustainable development in Sweden. And in 2019, his e-health project was chosen to be among 75 projects from across the globe. This is an international competition. So he was selected to incubate and launch in the startup visa program in Denmark. So I'm so happy to welcome Nadir Duma to the podcast. Welcome, Nadir. Hi, Florence. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind invitation. Yes, wonderful. So tell us more. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft in your own words? Sure. So uh, my name is Nadir. I am uh, born in uh, Tunisia. And so Tunisia, for those who do not uh, know a lot about it, it's a country in North Africa. By the Mediterranean Sea, so I was uh, grown there in a nice town called Sousse. It's a coastal town by the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, now, actually, uh, I am in between Sweden and Tunisia because I got, you know, the scholarship from the Swedish Institute to uh, study a master in applied computer science for sustainable development. For now, I'm studying online, so I am physically speaking, I'm still in Tunisia. And probably next year, next semester, I should be there to validate, you know, the final project and the, the, the diploma. Okay, great. And so what would you say is your craft? Okay, so my background is in information technology. And in recent years, I tried to uh, make a shift towards uh, using uh, technology for a better uh, human experience and uh, for a better world and a better environment for all humanity. So I'm trying to use or to help people how to best use information technology, you know, uh, uh, to make impact. So this is my main, you know, craft, especially in the, in the least uh, five years. Mm-hmm. So how did information technology become the area that you focused on? So what in your background or in your education inspired you to move into that specific space for the impact work that you were engaging in? Yeah, so basically I studied in my small village here in Sousse, and then I moved to the capital for high school where I was accepted in a special school called English Pioneer School. Of Tunisia and this school is uh, specialized uh, you know in uh, teaching uh, English for pupils and it is uh, really for you know the brightest uh, students uh, in the country say maybe a top one percent and this was you know a shift in my life in my early life 
because I was 11 when I joined the English Pioneer School, but I had the chance to learn, you know, maths, physics, science, and English, and that was really beneficial till date. And there I was, uh, you know, uh, we were at that school, uh, you know, maybe the first school in, in our country to use computers. And I'm talking about, you know, mid-80s. We were, you know, in the, in the, in the forefront uh, of using uh, technology in the mid-80s, maybe uh, in the whole Middle East and Africa region. Mm. So uh, that really shaped uh, my, my, my orientation later, where I, you know, did the computer engineering bachelor degree and graduated in uh, 99. Okay, got it. And so you've done your studies and you focused on information technology and then it's time to enter into the work world. So what were first some of your first working experiences as a, I guess, as your school being a little bit pioneering with technology, what, what kind of roles were you able to move into? Sure. So uh, I started as, uh, you know, a web developer. So doing okay. websites, mm-hmm. uh, mainly dynamic websites and later e-commerce. Uh, by the way, uh, my final year studies in university was about e-commerce. That was the first one about e-commerce in the country. That was in 99, as I said. And uh, so from the beginning, I, I was, you know, trying to be, you know, uh, to follow the newest trends. Mm-hmm. That's also one of my aspects. And uh, later on, I moved from web developer to system administration. Then I had some managerial roles, again, in the information technology. I was IT manager on the hospitality industry, then IT director in higher education. So that was, you know, a, a cumulative of 10 years of, of experience where I was uh, an employee. And mm-hmm. the next 10 years, I started on my entrepreneurship journey. So that was in 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, I created my first startup called eTalim. It's about, you know, Talim in Arabic, that's, you know, education. And mm-hmm. eTalim, that's to say, you know, e-learning and e-education. So uh, the idea behind eTalim is really to raise awareness in the Middle East and Africa region about e-learning. As I said, that was in 2010. So I was one of the early adopters and one of the early entrepreneurs to talk about e-learning in the region. Mm-hmm. And so how, so that's in 2010, that's more than a decade ago. Yeah. And so how would you now categorize the status of e-commerce, e-learning, just the, the digital economy and digital life in the region or in Tunisia specifically as well? Yeah. So, yeah, I think all the world is moving towards, you know, e-services in general. Mm-hmm. And towards, you know, a digital-centric, you know, economy, mm-hmm. whether it's in education, in health, in every aspect of our life and every aspect of the, of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see in particular in Tunisia and in Africa and the Middle East uh, an interesting, you know, move, especially uh, uh, following the uh, COVID-19, you know, period epidemic where, you know, most of us were, you know, uh, at home, so <laughs> we didn't have a choice. So uh, uh, many, many organizations, many governments started to put in place e-health services, e-learning services, and that was uh, really, you know, an interesting catalyst. So compared to 2010, I think there is a lot of advancement in this area. Now we see, you know, online courses offered by some universities, 
in high school also these students have the possibility to uh, follow uh, some courses basically in the private sector let me emphasize on this because the government level we are a little bit behind with the bureaucracy and all that stuff they are not following you know the trend like the private sector but the private sector we are seeing a lot of initiative in high school in uh, primary school and in higher education mhm mhm that i think that's the case all over africa to a large yeah. degree and so i'll give you a little bit of background on something that's a hot topic debate currently in ghana we recently had the the budget announced and there is a new e levy that has been introduced and so the oh. recognizing all of the digital financial fintech transactions that have been going on from mobile money to bank transactions and then also the idea i think is also capitalizing on remittances because we know that remittances from abroad are a, a large percentage or pretty a, a significant percentage of our economy this e levy is now going to add a 1.7 percent surcharge on all transactions above 100 cities which is equivalent to roughly 14 15. So okay. I mean that gives you a sense that gives you a sense of where the informal and the idea is that it's supposed to be capturing the informal sector all the transactions. So we have this thing that is encourage people to come on and use digital technologies because of the convenience, you know, taking down traffic, our roads are a mess to us to And so now we have this great adoption of e-commerce but now we have a tax that's been exacted on the public or will be exacted to a bit of uproar. And so I say all that to ask you about how is the climate in terms of encouraging from the government side have they instituted anything that potentially looks to proliferate more digital commerce without I guess in the, just thinking about what I've just outlined as a policy in Ghana where do you see yeah. african countries and particularly in tunisia any movement in that similar direction well we are seeing some initiatives as i said mm-hmm. but they are slow compared to the private sector compared to what startups are doing mm-hmm. you know but yeah we are seeing some new laws new policy uh, making the new new strategies in tunisia for instance we have what we call the startup act to make a level for startups and to encourage them uh, giving them you know some financial incentives some tax incentives uh, some access to funding uh, but compared to other countries as you said the african continent is really lagging behind but i am very optimistic so that's why we need to work all together all the stakeholders Mm-hmm. and uh, to push uh, further. Mm-hmm. So, let me just probe a little bit deeper on that because one of the other challenges that has happened with being able to globalize has been the idea of that whole digitization. So, if I want to buy something in Tunisia and I'm in Ghana, part of the challenge has been the okay, how do I get it? How do I get you your money and how yeah. do I make sure that you actually will send it to me? And so yeah. Where are you seeing opportunities for I guess economic empowerment amongst young people and businesses to really be able to close whatever gaps there are in that supply chain and logistics and make it more seamless. You know, I can easily order something from Canada yeah. and it will arrive in the US if I'm in the US. So, 
And to some degree, you can order digitally from your region, but really making this more of a global world, what are you seeing as some of the key additions, subtractions that will make that a reality? Yeah, good point, Floras, good point, because technically speaking, businesses speaking, it's really, you know, feasible. And we can do what you were mentioning. I mean, this should be feasible. As a Ghanaian, you, you should be able to buy something from Tunisia and vice versa, and you should be able to pay online using, you know, mobile payment or using, you know, online payment. But unfortunately, there are some constraints, illegal aspects, you know, mm-hmm. mainly in relation with the, the currency, in relation with the central banks, you know, here in Tunisia, for instance, still date as a Tunisian citizen, citizen, we, we are not able uh, to hold the currency. We are able only to hold Tunisian dinar and the Tunisian dinar is uh, not convertible, you know. Mm. So uh, this is really a legal constraint, which is a kind of a handicap for now. We don't even have PayPal, for instance. And we've been, you know, uh, activating this point for years and years and it seems it's, it's a question of uh, the text laws and the, the parliament needs to, to vote a new law and, and they never <laughs> did this for years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is so interesting because Tunisia is the ground zero, for lack of a better word, for the Arab Spring. And so we know that that was largely influenced by digital communication and social media. So it's interesting, you know, looking now forward this many years, do you think that we've come much farther with, or you in particular in your region, much come much farther with expansion and really utilizing digital platforms for, I guess, I'm, I'm assuming there obviously are, like you mentioned, with the pandemic, but really the mindset side of it in terms of really generationally encouraging and looking because we know the the Arab Spring was more of a youth movement to a large degree. And correct me if I'm wrong, are we seeing that there generationally there's just more of an interest and an ability to leverage wider use of ICT? Yeah, yeah. As I said, the will is there, especially it comes from, you know, the young generation, startups Mm -hmm. are doing a lot of efforts. Mm -hmm. But as I said, the government they are doing some efforts, but as I said, mainly there are, you know, legal handicaps, you know, and it takes time to change the laws, you know. They are not agile enough. Sure, you see? sure. So, yeah, I like uh, you, you never know when we will have PayPal, for instance, maybe in five years from now. Mm-hmm. We started to, we asked for PayPal uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have it. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll have it uh, one day, but we don't even know when. There is no clear agenda. This is one example. As I said, for the uh, uh, the currency, uh, also uh, there is no agenda. Uh, we don't mm. see any 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 roadmap. So this is, you know, uh, the thing that uh, I think uh, uh, politicians need to seriously think uh, about because uh, we cannot, you know, uh, uh, become uh, like uh, other countries. We are seeing, you know, shift even in small uh, countries like Estonia, for instance, which is uh, smaller than Tunisia in terms of. Uh, surface but also in terms of inhabitants and uh, everything is almost you know digital and now african countries are uh, trying to get uh, experiences from estonia and other countries to implement uh, their solutions Uh, so i am seeing a lot of uh, move towards this 
mm-hmm. but uh, it is really uh, slow and we need you know a more you know uh, more will you know at the government yeah. level yeah so let's switch a little bit and talk a little bit more about what you hear so i like to ask a question it's called my glocal speak question and it's when i want ask my guests to share a word a phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as glocal speak okay so this is a question about the, the word or the phrase yeah it's very interesting mm-hmm. <clears throat> well here i can say that uh, there is a, a word that inspired me from my childhood and which affected me uh, all my professional life is uh, the word read, okay? And uh, the word read from reading, uh, actually the word read is the first word in uh, our holy book, the Quran, mm-hmm. from the first uh, chapter and the first verse. And as you know, uh, raised in a Muslim, you know, community, uh, this affected me uh, from my childhood. So I was really uh, reading a lot when I was a child. And here also, I want to uh, really thank a lot my mother, which is next door, by the way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was the one who encouraged me and to read books, to read magazines uh, from uh, you know uh, primary school i was i was really uh, reading a lot especially in arabic then later on in french and english in, in high school and this affected me uh, during my career that's why in 2010 when i first launched my first step it was about e-learning it was about really education and and how to make you know knowledge available for everyone everywhere using you know the technologies Mm-hmm. And I believe that learning and lifelong learning is the key for any you know, civilization to be ahead, for any government to catch up with other you know, developing countries. And it's not you know, uh, by chance that in the top 10 countries in terms of education and uh, innovation, we find you know, uh, Nordic countries like Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and by the way, I'm, I'm a fan of these countries and their, you know, economic systems. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, and education, learning, lifelong learning is really, uh, I think, the most important. Because when you have the knowledge, you can do whatever you, you want. If you have a good knowledge of something, then you can innovate, you can move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. I second that 100%. And so it's interesting that you bring that up because let's talk about your second startup, which is another education entity. Tell us more about that and how you went about developing. Yeah, yeah. It's again in the e-learning yes. <laughs> landscape. So, yeah. And uh, it's about e-books this time. So mm-hmm. uh, production of e-books in many languages and uh, specialized in religion, in Islam, particularly, as I said, since I'm in a Muslim country, mm-hmm. and according to my, you know, relationships, my global relationships, I have a lot of friends everywhere. As a Muslim, I was really sad when I, I see people talking about Islamophobia, uh, people saying that uh, some Muslims are terrorists and all that stuff. The media are exaggerating somehow. So I try to give, you know, uh, the good image about Islam using technology 
and the particular niche of technology, which is e-books. And I created what we call, you know, Islam e-books. That was the name of the startup. The idea is to uh, make uh, Islamic e-books in many languages available online and can be uh, accessible on smartphone, on a tablet, using the latest technology. So we were using uh, the EPUB3 format. For -hmm. instance, we were the first people in the world to provide Arabic e-books in EPUB3 format, where you can find text, images, and also videos. Mm. And uh, you can read it on any device, kind of uh, Kindle, you know, it's a kind of uh, the Islamic Amazon or something like that, you know, for e-books. That was basically the the idea. Mm-hmm. So being in that space as well, I'm curious about how you, the kind of partners that you were able to um, bring together to create these books, as well as what your revenue model has been with it. And I asked that partially because of the multi-platform users, right? So you have your smartphone users, and I'm assuming when you say multiple platforms, you're also talking about feature phones, because I know that that, yeah. particularly in areas where it's lower income, where people don't have access to Wi-Fi very widely necessarily, feature phones are used. So tell us more about those two things. So sourcing contributors and developers of content, as well as the revenue model around paying for this content? Well, actually, uh, the revenue model, uh, we had, you know, two, two strategies. The first strategy using, you know, other ebook stores. Mm. Okay. So like uh, Amazon and other ebook stores. And by the way, we have uh, two uh, ebooks in French language in Amazon.ca uh, and in Amazon.fr, France and Canada. And uh, when we were you know, doing the uh, MVP, and this again, you know, revenue model via our own platform. So we were aiming to create our own platform that will support the different formats and basically uh, the Arabic ebooks. Because for the Arabic ebooks, there is a challenge that you need to read, you know, from right to left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Arabic language, there is a challenge which we call the Tashkil. So the letters, uh, they are, you know, difficult to uh, digitize, especially when uh, they are uh, with, uh, with uh, voyeurs, you know, Tashkil, it's specific for, you know, Arabic language. It was really a technical challenge, and we solved this challenge. We have even, you know, created uh, together with the company uh, in in the Netherlands uh, an Arabic TTS, text-to-speech engine, using uh, artificial intelligence. That was in 2011, I think. So we were also, you know, (laughs) at the forefront of using emerging technologies for the education sector. As I said, we created, you know, EPUB3 books with videos inside, uh, so in terms of revenue models and business model, uh, we had these two, you know, uh, revenue uh, streams. But uh, we were, uh, you know, uh, at an early stage, we created the, the MVP, the first prototype. We participated in the World Summit Award and we were selected top 40 globally in the e-learning category. But unfortunately, uh, the project did not uh, go further for many uh, reasons, including, you know, uh, funding, mm. uh, the startup ecosystem in Tunisia was not uh, mature, you know, enough. And, you know, uh, when you go uh, to ask funding, uh, there were not specialized funding uh, yeah. uh, structures for digital projects. Right. And that back to the, the crux of the problem is is where that infrastructure is to create a space for the wider distribution, particularly in the education space. You know, I think 
there's a lot of will around buying and selling of goods. Yeah. Very random goods. But when it's about exactly. mind, then we have this loss. That's that's a huge loss. It's the, you know, it's the reason why. Absolutely. Are where we are in a lot of cases. Speaking a little bit more about where you are and what you're doing now. So okay. how did you move into the space of coaching and mentoring? Okay, so uh, in the recent five years, I mainly uh, give uh, strategic advice to tech companies, uh, to startups, trying to help them in many aspects, mm -hmm. from the idea stage to you know scaling up, and mainly uh, with uh, strategic partnerships, with international business development, international expansion. So uh, this is the main. Uh, aspect i'm helping uh, tunisian startups or even startups in other countries because i have you know i'm helping also startups even in european countries mm -hmm. to scale to other countries <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah it's amazing you know when you are uh, a remote worker because by the way it's been five years that i'm working uh, almost fully remote and uh, from my uh, home office and uh, with you know uh, clients partners globally in the five uh, continents so yeah so basically uh, i'm trying to help startups fund internationally and i wear also many other hats because at the same time i'm a startup founder myself i mm -hmm. try i've uh, founded the new uh, concept in uh, 2019 in the e-health e uh, and uh, with which i won the prize of you know the startup visa for Denmark. At the same time, I've just quit another uh, startup in EdTech. And uh, yeah, I'm planning also to launch a new startup in the coming months. And it will be uh, hopefully in the climate tech. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> and this is, you know, uh, the major challenge for yes. humanity now is climate yes. change. So I think we, I should do something. I should contribute, you know, to the global, you know, efforts in this regard. I've just joined the, you know, a think tank called Hope Now. Okay. headquartered in Switzerland, uh, so I'd like to thank David for inviting me to, uh, David Hertix, for inviting me to this initiative, and Hope Now is really an interesting initiative because they are creating a new uh, business model that will enable everybody to, to cut down the CO2 emissions by, uh, you know, asking, you know, governments to apply a, a special tax for uh, businesses who are emitting CO2, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, a new, you know, uh, idea founded by uh, uh, someone from uh, Switzerland, and they invited me to to join them. And as as, as you mentioned, I'm currently enrolled in a master degree in applied computer science for sustainable development in Sweden. And you know, Sweden is uh, the best uh, option I think for sustainability because it's ranked number one, I think, three consecutive years now. Uh, in terms of sustainability in the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, this second uh, thing I'm doing, I'm also, you know, uh, doing some strategic advice in terms of information technology for larger, you know, businesses, helping them, you know, to define their uh, strategic requirements, how to make, uh, you know, alignment of their information system with their business needs. Now, you know, information technology is everywhere, digital is everywhere in terms of business. So it's not, it's really uh, compulsory to think uh, technology. And they can say even now uh, we need to think artificial intelligence uh, mm -hmm. from day one in businesses. 
and now we are talking about an AI first approaches and here I'm trying to help businesses how to align uh, strategically speaking uh, technology and artificial intelligence in their business needs at the you know, strategic level at the uh, governance level now we're talking about information technology governance uh, so yeah this is also something I'm happy uh, I'm still happy to to do you know <laughs> Sure. So I'm curious about the AI aspects because there's so many different thoughts around, you know, we know that it is there. We know that self-driving cars are going to be or already are reality. We know that just the algorithms of all of our technology are moving in that direction. And so particularly for Africa, yeah. how do you see AI taking a stronger hold and what are some of the, the challenges or um, the pushback that, that you can see will probably take place given, you know, Africa is not a monolith, but we have certain similar frameworks that we operate under. So given, you know, some of the, the general environmental and such constraints, what are your thoughts on how AI will develop and move forward in Africa? Oh, interesting question. Mm. Yeah, so artificial intelligence is something uh, pretty new, even at the global scale. So uh, the country is leading the way. We can, uh, I mean, we can see the United States, Canada, mm-hmm. maybe uh, Singapore, mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. Uh, European countries are, you know, uh, taking, uh, you know, train recently. There are a lot of budgets in the EU, in France, for instance, to, you know, attract more projects using artificial intelligence and to benefit businesses and government entities from this, you know, uh, concept or this technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Africa, I think it's also pretty uh, new and I can see some interesting steps by uh, Smart Africa, for instance. And in the recent two years, they are trying to create some frameworks in uh, some countries and to test some uh, prototypes and to define, you know, some strategic requirements on how to best, you know, use artificial intelligence in different domains like education, healthcare, Mm -hmm. agriculture, for instance. Mm -hmm. I think agriculture is a very promising sector for African countries where AI can uh, have uh, an added uh, value. Mm -hmm. So we are still in the beginning, uh, but yeah, I think there is a lot of potential and AI can benefit all the world and in particular African countries because AI, uh, it will enable, you know, to save a lot of time, save a lot of energy Mm -hmm. and to make, you know, uh, humans uh, move to more interesting roles Mm -hmm. because uh, Mm -hmm. there are people who say AI is a threat because it will cut jobs. And here I must say simply no, because uh, we need uh, to cut jobs who are, you know, robotic jobs who are not really made for humans. And the humans, we need to empower them and uh, offer them, you know, more uh, training opportunities so that they can get the more interesting jobs and not, uh, you know, automated jobs. Let's keep the automation for the robots and for the machine. So this is, I think, my, my, my point of view. And this is also can help a lot African countries and their citizens. The African citizen will have the possibility to be more empowered, to be more trained for better jobs. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's a, a, better li- a better quality of life. 
I mean, generally it is. It's what uh, it's thought to make life better quality, but particularly for those in on the continent. But so I think one of the hurdles that I believe Africa has is AI is fairly dependent on large amounts of data, right? So big data yeah. is a huge contributor to the ability to be able to manage and implement most AI initiatives. Is that true or am I kind of grabbing at something with that? Yeah, it's true to some extent mm -hmm. because traditionally speaking, you're right. AI is related to big data. Yeah. And in some cases, uh, people say big data is AI and there is mm -hmm. certain kind of uh, confusion. Mm -hmm. But in fact, whenever there is data, and as you said, there is a huge amount of data, we can implement the AI use cases for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in recent, you know, trends in AI, uh, we can uh, even, uh, you know, implement some projects using a few amounts of data and we can uh, use other techniques to make that small amount of data bigger. Mm -hmm. There is a technique called data augmentation, for mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. where the AI itself creates extra data, right? Mm. Uh, this is a technique. There are also other techniques which enable, you know, uh, businesses, even if they have small data, to uh, test or to simulate some models, some AI models, mm -hmm. some algorithms uh, that can be improved later on by time, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the data will increase by time. Sure. So uh, this is to say that uh, it's not really true to implement AI only if you have huge data, mm -hmm. uh, but you can still start with uh, some uh, prototypes and move, you know, on the right. On the sure, go. sure, sure, sure. I like what you say about the more interesting work. And I think that there's a huge opportunity in the industrial space for Africa because where we have had gaps, particularly in, in this West Africa, this part of the world, is industry is, it hasn't been as robust, obviously, as Europe and, you know, South and Eastern Africa. Part of it is a skills thing, as you say, training, but to the extent that we can now have more robust factories that are producing and reducing the reliance on um, import, export, that type of thing, we can produce more things more effectively in, within our yeah. own borders. I definitely see that as a plus with implementation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this as we're, just, we're thinking about, you know, mindset. I have a mindset hack question. And uh, so you're at Techie, so I think you'll get it. <laughs> so what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, if this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of. Yeah. So now I think we will shift from technology to something else. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> Which is very, very important for everyone, uh -huh. which is health. Oh, right? wonderful. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So my mindset hack is uh, really, you know, alternative medicine. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been five years that I not only discovered alternative medicine, but I'm using it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So when we say alternative medicine, it's, you know, phytotherapy, aromatherapy, mm -hmm. forest bathing, meditation, nutrition. And mm. now we're talking about uh, food as a medicine. And yeah, so uh, I had the chance to be in touch with my dear friend, uh, phytotherapist, uh, Mohammed, Mohammed Barhomi. I'd like to say hi to Mohammed because uh -huh. he's also my co-founder with my Danish startup. Okay. My Danish startup, uh, it was uh, at the intersection of 
for mental health, uh, phytotherapy, and genetics, by the way. And yeah, so uh, I didn't imagine that uh, one day uh, you'll never go to the doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> by just, you know, eating the right food in the right time, for instance. Yeah, so uh, now it's been five years, me and my family, we never go to the doctor. We are using, you know, medicinal plants. We have, you know, strict diet. Personally, I am uh, on intermittent fasting, on a daily intermittent fasting okay. since five years now. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, alternative medicine. I think there is a lot to learn from ancient, you know, scientists. And, uh, you know, if we take, you know, ancient scientific literature yes. and we add to that, the new research, and this is uh, what is done in uh, so many, you know, research labs globally, especially in prominent universities, I think we can solve a lot of uh, issues. I absolutely agree. So tell us, what is um, phytotherapy? Phytotherapy is using, you know, medicinal plants. Okay, so plant therapy. To, uh, to treat uh, illnesses, or, or, but, but mainly to prevent, to prevent illnesses, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even to treat them, uh, including, you know, uh, cancer, mental sure. health issues, eczema, whatsoever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there is a solution for, for every problem. <laughs> yeah, with a plant. Absolutely. I agree. And so in your alternative, are you mostly using your indigenous types of plants? Because I know that that's, that's part of the sustainability of it all, things that are local to yeah. you, or, you know, is obviously some things you can't get but because yeah. the time has changed and, and everything doesn't grow everywhere. But for the most part, are you a gardener as well? So tell us more about how you implemented and access yeah. your alternatives. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I live in a small farmhouse. Okay. So I am immersed in nature. Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm trying my best to grow some organic food. Okay. okay but yep. I need more efforts in this. Uh-huh. But yeah, we have, you know, olive trees. I have some interesting, you know, uh, organic uh, fruits. Uh, this is at small scale, uh-huh. uh, but at a larger scale, you know, here in Tunisia, we have a lot, you know, of interesting uh, plants, uh, organic plants. Yeah. Uh, like uh, we are uh, known, for instance, for uh, rosemary. Yes. And rosemary oil is very, very interesting for mm-hmm. uh, many, you know, uh, health issues either as a prevention, as I said, or as a, a treating, including, you know, inflammatory uh, issues uh, and including uh, COVID-19, mm-hmm. <laughs> for instance, because it's very uh, uh, useful for the lungs. Uh, rosemary oil is, uh, is one of uh, my, my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, always on my desk. Okay. So uh, in Tunisia, we have rosemary. We have uh, also some other, you know, interesting uh, plants. Uh, we have uh, what we call the, uh, in French, it's called figue de barbarie. Figue de barbarie? Uh, figue de barbarie in French. Okay. It's, you know, uh, a kind of a fruit which is spiky uh-huh. and uh, prickly pear. Yeah. Prickly pear. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the prickly pear is used here, uh, to, they extract from, you know, uh, it, uh, uh, an oil, the prickly pear uh, essential oil, and it is widely used for cosmetics. It's an organic, ah, you know, a product it. used for cosmetics. Uh-huh. I have this plant in my garden. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So this is also uh, typical of Tunisia, and I know uh, some startups, 
did to go back to startups who are, you know, using, implementing some kind of projects and they are exporting their products to other uh, markets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, phytotherapy is really, you know, uh, medicinal plants, essential oils and food in general, you know, food as a medicine, as I said, uh, this is my slogan for the five recent years, <laughs> yeah. because uh, if you know what to eat and when to eat it. So, as I said, by just knowing what to eat, how to eat it, when to eat it, you can save a lot of time and energy and money in terms of your health. You know. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And I second that. And we might look to you for a few links or tips for some of the resources that you use to add to the show notes, because we always like to have very interesting show notes for our guests. Yeah, yeah, sure, um, sure. Yeah. So this is kind of segue into who you are outside of the startup social entrepreneur who's very much in the tech. I like to ask this question in particular because it's how most people use their time on a regular basis. So are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Or are you a listener? Oh, well, to be honest with you, uh, as I said, I used to be reading a lot mm-hmm. during childhood, high school, university. Mm-hmm. But when you enter the business world, you cannot find time to read yeah. whole yeah. books, you know. Yeah, I know. So basically, I read the book chapters, I read uh, reports, I read mm-hmm. insights, I read a lot of articles mm-hmm. uh, on a daily basis, basically related to my areas of expertise and to my work, right? Mm-hmm. And I also watch uh, some, you know, uh, extracts, some videos. I listen to some podcasts, but it's really on micro-learning, you know, approach. Mm. Right? So I usually gain a lot of knowledge on a daily basis at different disciplines, but not really specialized on a particular area, right? Mm, okay. So then what do you do? What do you do in your leisure in terms of just living life? Or if so, since you're not reading for leisure, are you watching yeah. for leisure? Are you listening for leisure? How do you spend that time? I am gardening. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> I thought that would be. <laughs> so, so you're watching your garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah, it's really, you know, relaxing. The top of well-being is really when you touch the tree, when you touch the soil. And here I am, I read a lot about this. And here it's it's scientific research, not only my, you know, my perception. Uh But science says that when you go to the forest, you are increasing your well-being. When you touch the soil, you are, you know, decreasing, you know, negative vibes. And you are increasing positive vibes. Yeah. And this is science. Yeah. So it's really amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. So I am gardening a lot. I play with my children. You know, mm-hmm. it's also, you know, uh, interesting, you know, to to play with the kids. Very, 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 uh, you know, amazing. And yeah, and doing exercise. I'm doing, you know, exercise on a daily basis. Okay. Uh, uh, almost, uh, you know, each uh, two, three hours I need to, to do some, you know, stretching. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and that's why the remote work was, you know, the best recipe. Yeah. It's very, it has a lot, a lot of advantages. When you are working from home remotely, you can take care of your health and of the health and the well-being, your well-being and the well-being of your family. This right. is, I think, very, very important according to my experience in the last five years. 
Yeah, nice, 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 nice. Wow. Well, Nadia, this has been so lovely. I'm so happy to meet you and hear about your work. And I look forward to, you know, seeing your startups really grow and become as impactful as you envision. So as we close out our conversation, do you have any last words for our listeners today? Thank you. Thank you, Florence, again for this invitation. It is really, you know, empowering. It's really, you know, impactful. So, yeah, uh, my last word, uh, I think I will repeat my last word (laughs) because the last word I said, and for your listeners, my advice is really to try, you know, to make, you know, this, you know, work-life balance. Yeah. Very, very important. Yeah. 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 So the work-life balance is very, very important because we are living this world once and we need to... You know, take care of ourselves, we take care of our health, physical and mental health, the health, we need to take care of the health of our beloved ones. And this happens only when we make this, you know, balance. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Those are great last words. Balance, work-life balance. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch new episodes every Tuesday at www.glocalcitizenspod.com. Be sure to check us there. Check the show notes. And also you can find us wherever you find your podcast for the most part. So just click on where you get your podcast and you can find Global Citizen. And to the wellness point of view, later on today, I am moderating a panel or not moderating, moderating sessions, um, the afternoon sessions of the Grand Health Bazaar, which is the Live Well Initiative's Grand Health Bazaar. They've done it for nine years. This is the ninth iteration. And the sessions that I'll be moderating are the COVID-19 sessions. So just, you know, this will be, obviously it's virtual. And so it's information that will be available in perpetually, <laughs> in perpetuity for those who are interested to learn more about health and, and ways that the globe is dealing with a very health focused perspective on COVID-19. I think we've somehow gotten a little bit away from the health side in some regards. I mean, vaccination is one thing, but just as Nadira said, when you take care of yourself, you have this whole other way of dealing with illness and disease and all of those things. So I really encourage folks to take a listen to that. And that's, again, the Grand Health Bazaar notes will be in the show notes. And so until next time, listeners, bye for now. Bye.